You're listening to a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. We hope you'll find it to be spiritually edifying. In connection with our sermon this afternoon, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter. We'll read first from 1 Peter 1, verses 22 through chapter 2, verse 3, and then we'll turn to chapter 3, verses 18 through 22. So first then, 1 Peter 1, verse 22. This first section speaks about the Word of God, and the second speaks about baptism, teaches us about the sacraments. And so let us listen and submit ourselves to the Word of God. Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for your brothers, love one another deeply from the heart. For you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and enduring word of God. For all men are like grass, and all their glory is like the flowers of the field. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of the Lord stands forever. And this is the word that was preached to you. Therefore, rid yourselves of all malice and all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every kind. Like newborn babies crave pure spiritual milk, so that by it you may grow up in your salvation, now that you have tasted that the Lord is good. And then we'll turn to chapter 3, beginning at verse 18, reading through verse 22. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to the spirits in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this water symbolizes baptism that now saves you also. Not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at God's right hand with angels, authorities, and powers in submission to him. Our text this afternoon is the word of God as it's summarized and confessed by the church in Lord's Day 25 of the Heidelberg Catechism. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. Where does this faith come from? From the Holy Spirit, who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the gospel and strengthens it by the use of the sacraments. What are the sacraments? The sacraments are holy, visible signs and seals. They were instituted by God so that by their use he might the more fully declare and seal to us the promise of the gospel. And this is the promise, that God graciously grants us forgiveness of sins and everlasting life because of the one sacrifice of of Christ accomplished on the cross. Are both the word and the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground of our salvation? Yes, indeed. The Holy Spirit teaches us in the gospel and assures us by the sacraments that our entire salvation rests on Christ's one sacrifice for us on the cross. How many sacraments has Christ instituted in the Holy Covenant? Two. Holy Baptism and the Holy Supper. 
Dear congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Heidelberg Catechism begins this afternoon by asking us a very timely question. Since then, faith alone makes us share in Christ and all his benefits. It's what we learned in the last few weeks. Then where does this faith come from? If you've been listening with even half an ear open, as we've been going through the Catechism, then you'll not have missed that word faith. It's come up time and time again. Faith is absolutely crucial to the Christian life. As the Catechism says, Jesus Christ is our only comfort in life and death, and faith is what unites us to Him. It's pretty important. Lord's Day 7. Only those who by true faith are grafted into Christ. What are the contents of the faith? Well, it's the gospel as summarized in the Apostles' Creed. Lord's Day 11. Faith in Christ is is exclusively in Christ. No other Savior. Faith has to be just in Christ. Lord's Day 12. Why are you called a Christian? Because I'm a member of Christ by faith. Without faith, you're not a Christian. The Holy Spirit, Lord's Day 20 is given to us to make us, by true faith, share in Christ and all His benefit. That's what the Holy Spirit does. God dwells in our heart to make us share in Christ. Lord's Day 21, the church is united. In what? The true faith. Lord's Day 23, how are you righteous before God? Only by faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is not the gospel itself, but faith is what links us to the gospel, what unites us to Christ, what gives us unity as the church. Faith is vital to our Christian life. The picture that the Lord Jesus gives us is of a vine with a twig. When a twig is grafted into a healthy vine, a graft, you cut a a little cut in a vine, stick the twig in there, and then the vine gives all the life-giving nutrients to that twig, it it keeps it alive, makes it alive and keeps it alive. Well, it's by faith that we, the twigs, are grafted into that vine, grafted into Christ. And so to not be grafted in, to not have faith in Christ, is to be just like a twig laying around. What happens when you cut off a twig and you lay it, leave it laying around, it will die. You can leave it laying on top of the branch, underneath, close by. If it's not hooked into that branch, it will die. So it is with our life. Saying that true faith is vital is is actually redundant. True faith by its very nature sustains life because it hooks you in to Jesus Christ. Yet, much like prayer, faith has no power in itself. A faith is not life-giving in itself, Christ is the source of life. Christ is the vine by which which we by faith tap into. And so it's only fitting that the question should come up eventually. If faith is so important, and it is, where does this faith come from? Now some of you have heard this many times before. This sounds like a bit of a snoozer of a topic to you. But can you imagine hearing these words for the first time? Having just come under the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Or can you imagine having these truths been buried under 
under years of false teaching or wrong impressions. I can imagine then you'd be on the very edge of your seat, your heart beating faster as you learn about this justification by faith alone, through Christ alone. And you're saying, all right, but but you have to let me know, where does this faith come from? I'm dying here. I need that life-giving source. I'm dying on my own. Where does faith come from? I'm feeling like a dried out twig. How do I hook into Christ? And you don't have to be a new believer to feel like this. Where does this faith come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit gives us a powerful pair for building faith in the Gospel. For strengthening that connection to the vine. And that's our theme this afternoon. The Holy Spirit gives us a powerful pair for building faith in the Gospel. We'll see that it's the Word that creates faith. We could even say creates and sustains faith, just like the Lord created and sustains this world. The Word creates and sustains faith. And then secondly, we'll see how the sacraments confirm faith. So the Word creates faith. Where does this faith come from? It comes from the Holy Spirit. You don't conjure it up on your own. You can't buy it. Like Simon tried to do in the New Testament. You can't trade up for it. It comes from the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is God. The Holy Spirit is sovereign and moves according to His good pleasure. Faith is a gift From above. He builds it. He creates it. He sustains it. He confirms it. The Holy Spirit is in charge. Now you can imagine that tired, dried out twig of a person saying, Oh great. Here I am. I've heard about this faith. I know that I need it. But I'm not in control of accessing it. I'm dying here, but... It only can come through the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit is sovereign and moves as He pleases, then then how can I get hooked up with Christ? How can I hook into Christ? I'm left helplessly waiting for the Holy Spirit to give me what I so desperately need. Or if you're one of those drying out Christians who feels as though there's nothing left in the well, perhaps you have the same sentiment. I need faith, but I can't get it. And so all I can do is wait. And then we know what happens to that twig when it's left alone. Well, this is the way that you feel, then this is a message for you. This is a message that you need to hear. This is a message that we all need to hear. The Holy Spirit is not a disinterested God who is frugal about the gifts that He gives. No. You might think that you're the one searching to try and find the Holy Spirit, find this faith. You you might think that you're the active one while the Spirit is passive. But that's not the case at all. Actually, it's more likely the opposite. The Spirit is the one who's actively pursuing and tirelessly offering Himself. 
The Holy Spirit is working powerfully to sustain your life. And He's doing it right now. The Spirit, we learn from God's Word, does not sit idly by while we wade and search in vain. Not at all. The Holy Spirit works powerfully, actively, faithfully, and constantly. And He does this work through means. And His primary means of working is the preaching of the Word. Faith comes from the Holy Spirit who works it in our hearts by the preaching of the Gospel. That's the clear message of God's Word. It's a little hard to believe at first, however. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1 verse 21, For since in the wisdom of God the world through its wisdom did not know Him, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. The message sounds like foolishness. The means, preaching, is foolishness. But it's clearly taught in Scripture that this is the means by which the Holy Spirit uses to create and to sustain faith. We can think of our reading in 1 Peter 1, verse 23. He says to them, You have been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable seed. It's eternal. It's indestructible. Through the living and enduring Word of God. And this is the Word that was preached to you. In those striking and powerful words, Peter says that you, you Christians, you've been purified, you who have purified yourselves, who are now able to love each other out of a sincere love, you have been literally birthed through the Word. You were given birth through the Word. Your new life was formed out of the imperishable seed of the Word of God, and that seed was planted and grew through preaching. New, wonderful, immortal life. Conceived, grown, birthed through preaching. All through the working of the Holy Spirit. Now, I am a preacher, but it's not for selfish reasons that I'm going to say this. It's simply because it's the truth as God, God's Word communicates it to us. Preaching is very important. The Word preached creates faith. The Word preached creates Christians. The same message is taught in Romans 10 as well. In Romans 10, verse 13, Paul concludes a section about in where he's speaking about the centrality of Christ. And he says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. And then he goes on. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? Verse 14. How can they call on the one they have not believed in? Faith is crucial. And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard. Faith is crucial. The message is crucial. And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? Faith is crucial. The message is crucial. The preaching of the message is crucial. And then it's summarized in verse 17. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the Word 
of Christ. Understanding in the context, we could say, the word of Christ preached. So let's repeat that. Faith comes from hearing the message, and the message is heard through the word of Christ. Now we'll go on to speak in the mo- uh, about the message in a moment, because that's obviously an important part of all this. But let's just settle on one thing for a moment. Let's review here. Without faith, we dry up. We're like a twig lying on the ground. No life. Faith is vital, and faith is a gift by the Holy Spirit who works powerfully to create and sustain that faith by preaching. In short, as Paul says here in Romans 10, faith comes from hearing the message preached. That's what the Holy Spirit uses. And so there's a crucial element that must be joined with true, faithful, gospel-filled, Christ-saturated preaching. That's my job. But the crucial element that has to be joined with that is hearing. Or you might say, listening. The word can't just be preached. The word has to be heard. And this involves two things. It involves the active initiative of your heart and the active initiative of your head. Now concerning the heart, I've tried to impress that on you already. Just realizing that the gospel is the power of God for salvation and that we die without it should keep us motivated in our hearts to listen to the word of God. But the active initiative of the head or of the ear is another thing. But hearing is very important. But hearing, listening, it's not a passive thing. Now you might not believe that. If you were to look around, you would see a lot of people sitting here, sitting what looks to be quite passively listening. But listening is not at all a passive exercise. Good listening requires you to follow along with a word of, uh, with a flow of thought, to recall the structure of the message, to, to know what has been said, and to try and anticipate what's going to be said. Listening requires a lot of activity in your mind. Listening requires a lot of work. Listening for some of us requires that we get out a pen and a piece of paper and we write things down. Listening certainly requires that we have a well-rested and undistracted mind. These are things that we need to bring as we listen to the Word of God. Because hearing is important. Since the message is so important, it's not that the preacher's feelings are going to be hurt. But since the message is so important, it's important to be good listeners. We'll try to be good preachers, but this isn't an agreement where one side gives 50% and then the other side meets them halfway. No, we both have to be engaged 100%, giving all of our effort to communicate and to receive the gospel message. That's what the Holy Spirit would have us do. And why? Why is is hearing the message so important? It's not to get bonus marks or to make the preacher happy or to show off to others how much of the sermon you remember. It's simply because the message is so important. Because the message is life-giving. Life 
sustaining. Through His Word, God communicates a message, a message that has to be grasped, believed on, and trusted in. And so it is that the Gospel creates faith. Preaching gives birth to Christians. The Gospel contains a message, but it's more than a message. It is a power. Romans 1, verse 16. It is Word from God, which through the Holy Spirit's work has the power to give Life. It creates and sustains faith. And the very heart of this message is Jesus Christ. Question answer 67 in our catechism. Are both the words in the sacraments then intended to focus our faith on the sacrifice of Jesus Christ on the cross as the only ground for our salvation? Yes. Yes and amen. The message is about Jesus Christ crucified. That's the gospel in a nutshell. Jesus Christ crucified. That's the power of God for your salvation. That's what the Holy Spirit would have faithfully proclaimed for the life of God's people. Jesus Christ went to the cross for our sin and our salvation. So the Word creates and sustains faith The sacraments, moving on then to the other means by which the Holy Spirit gives faith, the sacraments confirm faith. As we move on to consider that complementary means of grace, we have to remember what we just said. That's the centrality of Jesus Christ in all of this. Faith-building preaching has the sacrifice of Christ at its core. And the faith-confirming sacraments have that same core. They're both meant to to point us to and to draw us to Jesus Christ. Faith is is faith in Jesus Christ. That's the vine. You have to make sure you don't get hooked into the wrong vine. There's only one vine that gives life, and that's Jesus Christ. And so we need to be hooked in to Him. So the Holy Spirit points us toward Him, draws us, toward Him. And this is very important to remember, especially with the sacraments, because it's it's easy to forget what the sacraments are really all about. It's easy to get them wrong, you could say. The baptism and Lord's Supper become distinct entities on their own if we don't remember that they're intended to bring us back to Christ. And if you want an example, we can consider the example the historical context in which the Heidelberg Catechism was written. The example of the Roman Catholic Church. In the late medieval period, the Roman Catholic Church lost its perspective on the sacraments. And there became all sorts of rituals and and understanding that was foreign to what God's Word teaches us about them. They began to think that the sacraments had been infused with a power of their own. Baptism had a power. Lord's Supper had a power. The technical term was ex opera operato, but it has nothing to do with people singing very high or very low. It means from the work done. It means that the sacrament, in the way that they understood it, has the ability to, to work for the person who receives it. The sacrament itself does something in the one who receives it. The child that's baptized, it does something on its own. The person who takes the bread and wine of the Lord's Supper, or in the case of the Roman Catholic Church, 
just the bread. It does something to the person who receives it. They said, for example, by by taking the real body and blood of Christ, then people would get an increase of, of sanctifying grace. That bread was seen to be the real body of Christ, and to take it had a, had a power in you, or power for you. But baptism and Lord's Supper are meant to point past themselves. They're signs and seals. They're signs and seals, that is, of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Baptism is beautiful, but insofar as it points to Jesus Christ. The Lord's Supper is powerful, but only insofar as it points to Jesus Christ. And in the weeks to come, we're going to consider more fully why the sacraments do this, what is involved with them, why they're called signs and seals. The language comes from Scripture, but it's really also derivative of the very nature of sacraments themselves. But for the moment, we'll consider what what does this mean? What, What does it mean that a sacrament is a sign or a seal? What is a sign? Well, we see signs every day. But perhaps you've never considered what a sign actually is or does. A sign is something that points past itself to another reality. A sign that you see on the road that has a sharp curve with a, with a truck tipping over means that up ahead there's a sharp curve and if you keep going too fast, your truck might tip over. A sign on the new Rogers Arena downtown, it points past itself to the big reality behind it, which is the Rogers Center uh, Arena. The Rod- Rogers Arena isn't that sign. But that sign points to another reality. That's how a sign works. Well, that's how the sacraments work as well. Baptism with the water being poured onto the head of the infant or the adult who comes to faith symbolizes a washing. That is, it's not an effective washing itself, but it points past itself to the washing given by Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 3, which we read together, Peter says, baptism now saves you. But he's not talking about the sign of baptism itself that has the power to save, but he's he's talking about the reality that baptism points to, the reality of Jesus Christ, as he goes on to say, it saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Baptism doesn't have the power to save in itself. But the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ certainly has the power to save. Baptism points to that. It symbolizes the washing in the blood of Christ. So it's a sign. It points past itself. The sacraments point past themselves to ground our faith in Jesus Christ. They add to the Word. They add taste and touch and feel and the sight of water, but they communicate that same message about Jesus Christ. Sacraments are a sign. They're also a seal. We see signs every day. Perhaps it's easier now to think of what a sign does. It points past itself to another reality. But we don't have very many seals around this day, or at least not the seals that we're talking about here. There are seals swimming around in the water, 
But the seals that we're talking about here, the seals that were common uh, in New Testament times and even in the time of the Heidelberg Catechism, were seals that were held by, by, say, a monarch or someone with authority, someone with power. A seal was a special symbol that the king or emperor would have on one of his rings, called a signet ring. And after he wrote a letter or, say, he drafted a new law, he would drop a few dabs of wax onto a piece of paper, and then he would stick his signet ring into that wax. He would make a seal with the wax on the paper. And that seal served as a mark of authenticity for everyone who read it. So you know this letter actually came from the king or emperor. Or this decree was decreed by the king. It would impress on the people who read it the reality and the authenticity of what was contained in the letter. And so it is with the sacraments. Let's consider Lord's Supper. When we partake of the Lord's Supper, the Lord seals the reality of Christ's death for us. The enduring legacy of the Lord's Supper, the fact that we celebrate it, reminds us of this. It was instituted by Christ himself. And even before he died, it pointed to his death. It spoke about his death. His body was broken. His blood was shed. So the Lord's Supper is a gift of God to affirm to our senses the authenticity of what we hear preached in the Word. The Catechism later, as we go through this section on the, on the sacraments, will capture this by the as surely as language in Lord's Days. As surely as I see with my eyes, as surely as I receive from the hand of the minister, as surely as I taste with my mouth, so surely... Was Christ's body offered for me? Was his blood shed for me? And he nourishes and refreshes my soul. And so you see how the sacraments strengthen faith. They add texture, you could say. Sight, feel, taste, smell to the message of the gospel. They're divinely affixed seals to secure our faith in God's promise. Remind us in clear terms about the center of Christ's work. That he died for our sins. And that he was raised to give us new life in himself. That's the message that the word and the sacraments together communicate. And that's what the Holy Spirit uses to build our faith. Amen. This has been a sermon from the Langley Canadian Reformed Church. For more information, please visit us on the web at www.langleycanrc.org.